Hello and welcome to the show. This is the Paranormal 60-Minute News Program. Also, with the Unex Network, the new mainstream. I'm your host, Dave Schrader. Thank you so much for joining me. And last week, I introduced you to our wide array of uh, correspondents spread out across the United States from Texas, Texas, and Texas. Well, the guys felt a little pinned down by their surroundings. So they've spread themselves out throughout the country today in order to represent the news in a more, I guess, uh, logical way, a way to, to incorporate more of the country in the telling of these stories. Ladies and gentlemen, all the way from the great state of Nevada in some seedy hotel, Martin Vias. Good morning, Marty. Morning, Dave. From Oklahoma, where he is now visiting his new grandchild, Eric Folsom. Good morning, Dave. Thanks for having me. Of course. Good morning. It's nighttime, gentlemen. Just because we're up early recording, it feels we like have to, yeah, we have to play the 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 story out here. And ladies and gentlemen, still in the great state of Texas because, well, he's got a job and has to stay there and work. Mister Greg Lawson. Hello, Greg. It would be great if you turned your microphone on, Greg. This is a rookie mistake yet again. Good to be here, Dave. Good to see you, gentlemen. Guys, we have to start off on a bit of a downer today. Um, John Edmund, who was the owner of the Stardust Ranch, if any of you watch Ghost Adventures TV series, that was the episode that I elected to put myself up on a mountaintop alone to possibly be abducted by aliens. John Edmund owned a ranch where they were having poltergeist activity, portal activity, cryptid activity, alien activity, so many strange things, so many weird stories. As a matter of fact, this this thing was so off the scales bizarre that we had to go there and put this thing to the test. Um, John passed away yesterday, I believe. That's all I know at this point. We don't know if an alien got him, a cryptid got him, or just old age, but one of those things definitely involved in the case. Our love and thoughts go out to the Edmund family, and uh, we wish them well. All right, gentlemen, it is time to begin the news today, and we've got stories from around the world. Speaking around the world, let's go directly to our correspondent in Oklahoma. Congratulations, Grandpa. Thank you very much, Dave. Very excited to, uh, to be here and get to see the little crew. Uh, three weeks old. So uh, while I was up here, I decided I would take some time and do a little bit of research as well. So I think we're going to have a couple good stories for next week as well, probably coming out of Oklahoma. Wow. Look at you going. I'm taking it serious. All right. Well, where are we beginning today? Wow. Back to another TikTok video this week I I watched. Um, Look at my notes here. Tasha Darby posted a video on Monday to TikTok um, where it received over 4 million views. Uh, She has footage the claims that show a child spirit tossing books off of her kitchen counter late at night. Um, Tasha sorry. says, I'm sorry. I, we've got that footage. Let's go to it real quick yes, here. And uh, well, do, does she explain the scenario here? So people know what they're about to see that are watching the video. And for those at home listening, kind of understand what they're, what they're going to be listening to. Yeah. She said that uh, every morning she would find her keto diet cookbooks on her kitchen floor. That may be part of the problem. Yeah, pr- pretty much where they belong. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it happens exactly. in my house. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, she, so she decided to set up her computer on the counter facing the cookbooks, and sure enough, they fall down. And then um, a little while later, you see them actually fly off the off the shelf right onto the floor. All right, let's take a look at the footage. Every single morning, these are on the floor. Every single morning, 
So I'm gonna hook up my computer and see if I catch anything tonight. Maybe it's just rodents, but we're gonna find out. That is a weird piece of video. Now, for those of you that are just listening to the audio portion of this program, see what you missed by not watching the show when it airs on Friday nights. Uh, the way the books are positioned, they're kind of very nice, clean countertop, lots of different appliances. She's got the two books kind of up against what, like a toaster oven and something. And at first, okay, they fall over. Well, you know, if they're properly or improperly placed, that could happen. But as I was watching and the time code jumps and you see them fall and all of a sudden one book falls off the counter like 20 minutes later and then another book falls off the counter five minutes later, there's nothing on the screen. And I was looking for like a filament, like a, a fishing line to catch that glare from the night vision. I didn't see any of that. And then that weird little giggle at the end. I definitely heard that. Yeah. You know, I thought the exact same thing about the books. They could have been placed just enough so they would fall over. But then when they slide off the counter, um, I, I zoomed in. I did not see anything. But you're right. I don't know if you can go back and, and play that again because at the very end, you hear what appears to be a child's voice giggling right after the last books fall off the mm. counter. Yeah, hold on. Let me let me play her again. Every single morning, these are on the floor. Every single morning. So I'm going to hook up my computer and see if I catch anything tonight. Maybe it's just rodents, but we're going to find out. Hmm. There it is right there at the end. All right. Let's throw it real quickly to the paranormal detective. I mentioned looking for a filament line or a fishing line, something that might light up showing us that they were pulling. I didn't see anything. What do you make of that kind of footage? I didn't see anything either, but, uh, you know, I wonder what the heck's going on at their house. She says it may be rodents. I'm like, yeah, maybe we need to, maybe we need to look into that. Uh, she seems very calm about it. Anti-keto rodents. <laughs> right. She's very confident or, or very calm about the fact that it could be rodents or something paranormal. Neither one seemed to upset her at all. Yeah. No, no. It's, uh, um, yeah, it's one of those things when you when you look at it, if you go from a 911 forensic statement analysis kind of thing, it's like, yeah, it's kind of a little devoid of uh, any information uh, uh, as far as emotions go. So it's kind of makes you wonder. I don't know. All right. Now there's more to this story, though, right, Eric? Yeah, this isn't her first video, actually. Um, you go back to January. She had another TikTok video where she claimed her house was haunted. Um, and in this particular video, a door slams while she's recording now i'm gonna warn people in this video this i think came out when the new scream movie came out and there was this uh voice thing you could use that would make you sound like the uh the killer from scream and they're using that audio that voice so just so you understand when you hear it it's no longer a female voice it's hers i think she was going for the spooky effect here here we go something wants me out of this house 
Now, what what I find intriguing about that is the fact that before the door slams, it kind of pulls open a little bit more and then slams. So it, it's like something's building up energy. Mm. I I don't know how you could run a line and a filament to make it pull back and then come forward like that either. So that was another interesting piece of... Uh, that was my thought yeah. exactly. I thought the door was going to swing open and then it quickly turns around and slams shut. Yeah. How would you do that with a filament line or something of that sort? Yeah. Very bizarre. Well, I would say probably haunted <laughs> you know unless she's she's very well you know it's i gotta tell you it's tough though nowadays because there are so many amazing um programs that you can use to create all kinds of special effects at home that i'm watching people make videos at home of um natural disasters you know uh, alien invasions that look on par with what we've seen in the movie theaters so yeah. It, it is tough. That's got to be a, a very tough aspect of of analyzing this kind of footage now, unless we actually get the original footage, run it through, break it down frame by frame and see if there's anything hinky going on. But that was that's a good piece of video. Good piece of video. Uh, now, even though you're in Oklahoma, you're about to report on uh, a Texas tale for us. What's going on? I, I am still a Texas boy at heart. I just visit here frequently. Uh, but, yeah, very, very interesting story coming out of a sports betting company of all places. So <laughs> after the Pentagon released uh, their report back in uh, June of last year revealing that there were 143 unidentified aerial phenomena, a sports betting company called Great Lakes Stakes analyzed the number of UFO and ghost sightings in all 50 states to try to identify what the odds were of actually having a supernatural experience in each one of the states in America. And in the case of Texas, um, it came in fourth in terms of having the most reported incidents, uh, reported sightings of at least 7,302. And so they took these numbers and they converted it into an actual sports betting line. So in the state of Texas, your odds of seeing a ghost are 415,200 to one. Now, what I wasn't able to find out is if they were actually taking bets on this. Uh, they, they certainly did uh, do all of it. What, what was found was very interesting to me was not only was Texas very high, but the surrounding states, Oklahoma, Arkansas, hell, even Louisiana, all had incidences of 100,000 plus or more to one. So while Texas was the top state reported, um, they were still also in the top five of all the other categories that they were actually looking at. They broke down all this data that came out of this uh, Pentagon report. So what I walked away with was larger the state, larger the land mass, certainly the larger number of people, because California, although it is larger and has more people, did not come in in the top five. So it has nothing to do with your, your size of your state or the number of people. So in this case, size does not matter. Mm. If you live in California, they will tell you that. Yes. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's interesting. But you, were you surprised to see that your state came in number four all throughout the United States for the most reported paranormal activity? I, I was. When you think about Marfa and all of the places that honestly, you know, Greg Lawson, for example, has investigated in the state. I know, Dave, you've been there a number of times. Um, I would have thought there would have been a lot more. Interesting. 
Yeah, there's uh I like that like you said they've set up this the betting line what are the odds? How do you go about proving the odds? If I bet I'm going to see a ghost and then walk outside and go, "I saw a ghost." I'll collect on that now. I obviously they're just having a little fun with this but breaking down what would the actual odds be for you to have one of these experiences. And they broke it down by like alien, cryptid, you uh ghost and all of that, right? They were given all the different lines. Absolutely. That's the thing. So there's different categories and states ranked different depending on the category. Um, you know, when I look at this, I realized that it wasn't yet March Madness and they had some free time on their hands. Uh, oh, is that what it is? That's what I think it was. Good theory. Good theory. That's, That's my theory. Very good theory. We'll find out more about those theories from our Vegas correspondent in a few moments. But first, and again, I don't want people to tune into the show for fear that they're just going to hear COVID stories, war stories, things like that. But when a story kind of transcends, I do feel we have to report on it. And there was a story that came out this week um, from Colorado, but it's an interesting tie-in from Francesca Polio Fenton from the National Catholic Register uh, put this story out. on February 23rd, hours before the world would hear that Russia had invaded the Ukraine, a statue of St. Michael the Archangel, the patron saint of Kiev, began to emit a dark liquid, which appears to be blood. Now, a video was actually shared on Facebook of the occurrence, and that quickly made headlines. I was going to play the video, but it's um, in in uh, either Russian or uh, Ukrainian. I couldn't make out the deal, but it was... You, I couldn't understand a word that was being said in it, but you do get to see this footage. Here are the still shots from it, though. Uh, Alicia Martinez, age 57, of Broomfield, Colorado, a Denver suburb, is the owner of the statue. And in the interview conducted um, with CNA, she called the experience inexplicable. While speaking to a friend on the phone, one of her roommates knocked on her bedroom door, telling her to come quickly. I asked him what was happening, but he was standing there shaking. That's when she witnessed her statue of St. Michael, the archangel, appear to bleed from the right side of his head. He's not crying, explained Martinez, who is originally from, uh, Zach- how do you say this, Zacatecas, Mexico. He's bleeding from the forehead. The blood passes around the eyes, and it doesn't enter the eyes of Michael, the archangel. It just circles and goes around them and then drips down the face, uh, down onto the knee, and onto the ankle. Very strange piece of video uh, at a loss for words. All she could do was ask God why this was happening. I said, God, it's either something good or something bad. I don't know what this is, but something is happening here. Martinez recounted, it didn't feel like it was something bad. It just felt like this inexplicable sensation, kind of beautiful, actually. Still questioning her experience, Martinez called a friend of hers who is a priest in Mexico. He told her this was nothing bad. Instead, he told her to pray more. That was uh, that what was occurring was marvelous and that her home was truly <coughs> blessed by this uh, visitation. Um, you, here's a closer image of it. I, You know what I think is uh, interesting about this? First of all, in the depiction of angels, they've always made them, you know, kind of asexual looking in a lot of ways uh in in a lot of the old kind of uh, what's the word i'm looking for the kind of art style that they would that they did a lot of angels in um but in this uh, michael the archangel has a very feminine appearance even appears to have breasts in this and the foot as you see michael's got the uh sword up in the air his foot placed on the head of of satan 
Uh, usually it's a, um, a serpent or a dragon that he's, that he's battling with his head on it and, and he's raising the, the, uh, sword. But it's kind of interesting that here you've got a man represented in this. This is the patron saint of Kiev. And, uh, just prior to the Russian attack, the blood of Michael the Archangel starts to fall down the face of this specific statue, dripping down towards the devil, um, towards, I guess, Russia, Putin, whatever we want, uh, or people are, are going to assume that the, the devil vision equates to. In an interview with the Spanish news agency Primer Impacto, Monsignor Jorge de los Santos, pastor of Our Lady Mother of the Church in nearby Commerce City, Colorado, said, for the church to take a position, there would need to be a long, thorough, complex investigation in order to make a decision. Martinez has been put in contact with a representative from the Archdiocese of Denver, who is in charge of cases considering miracles. If Martinez decides to continue with the investigation process, the object will be put through several tests to see if the miracle continues to occur. Martinez was quoted as saying, what I was seeing was something real. It was something that doesn't have an explanation. This is not fraud. This is not to become famous. None of that. I know it's something divine from God that doesn't happen to everyone. Now, you saw this image, Greg, and the blood, uh, and I'll show it again. Now, being a police officer, you've seen a lot. Did that look like blood to you, or did, did it look like model paint? Uh, it could be either. The good thing is, is it, it's not uh, clear and see through a lot of fake blood. You uh, uh, it's uh, you know, you could see through it, but uh, real blood you, you don't typically see through uh, and it'll have different shades uh, depending on how thick it is. So uh, uh, whatever that is, that's uh, kind of interesting. And, and the fact that um, it, it appears to be uh, a, a a man and a woman maybe uh, kind of follows along the, the asexual idea of, of angels. Uh, right. So representing yeah. us all. Right. Very strange. All right. Uh, let's go to the great state of Nevada in the town of lost wages. Martin Vias. What is our story today? Well, Dave, uh, you know, um, just when you think you've heard everything about King Tut, there's more that comes out. Really? Uh, so, so in the tomb, in the burial wrappings of, uh, of King Tut's, uh, they found two daggers. But you think, ah, that's not very unusual. They, they, they put a lot of stuff there in his tomb. But these two daggers are kind of interesting. At least one is. Uh, the one is made out of gold, and the other is made out of iron. And uh, they found it very interesting that there was actually a iron dagger because back at that point, smolting technologies, the heat iron had not been discovered yet. Hmm. Hmm. So they start asking, well, how did we get this, this, this iron dagger? How did this iron dagger come about? Uh, could have been extraterrestrial? Could it have been aliens? Could it have been what? So, so there did some digging. Uh, a team of scholars from Japan and Egypt they started looking at this uh, this iron dagger and realized that the iron is from out of this world. It's actually made from a meteorite uh, that that has at some point must have must have fallen. And uh, they took the material from that and and made the iron dagger. Even though man had not figured out a way to to to, to do that himself at that point, um, 
the dagger actually is uh, is although they know what the dagger is made out of, they still don't know who actually made the dagger because uh, it's 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 no. It, it, I guess the dagger that they have is uh, kind of an unusual design where um, they just don't know who who made it. Um, it is amazing that with the limited technology they had back then, what they were able to craft and to take a piece of iron, this meteorite uh, type of metal that they'd never worked with before and find a way to forge it and create something out of it mm-hmm. like this. Was there a specific reason? I mean, th- that that was given to the king was, was that something when they would find these meteorites that it, they realized this must be something from the gods so that therefore it's something that should be given to King Tut? Yeah, it's hard to say. Uh, the article did indicate that there have been other instances of them using uh, that type of material uh, to to make uh, various things like daggers and, and, and swords and things like that. Although, um, again, the the article really was emphasizing the fact that they know what it's made out of. They just don't know where it was made or who made it. And so... Uh, um, I think it's one of those things where uh, uh, it may have some some speculation that may have come from other part of the world, uh, other uh, countries close to Egypt, but uh, you know they're they're uh, unsure. What what I found interesting too, by the way, the article was written. The the author was seemingly upset by the fact that there's all these conspiracy theories that it's alien, and that that dagger has been featured on shows like Ancient Aliens and UFO Hunters and things. And they've talked about the fact that this must have been gifted to them from some alien overlord. And and the article wasn't having it. They're just like, listen, that's just not how this works. You don't yeah. have to you know consider that that's what the aspect is. We're actually seeing. Um, this type of thing take place all over the the world at that time. People would take and fashion different weaponry or jewelry out of these meteorites. So they were trying to put a stop to these conspiracies. If I if I understood the article correctly, yeah, yeah. The article ends by just saying, "Hey, here, this is a real story." Uh, you know, thirty five hundred years ago, ancient people used materials from the sky to forge tools that were stronger than they were able to previously construct. So, um, it, it, like I said, it was a common practice uh, to to use these materials uh, to to make weapons or, or whatever it was that they were making. Um, but again, the civilizations during that time uh, believed it to be gifts from God. So, so that's kind of where that comes from. Well, it did come from the heavens, so it's pretty hard to just dismiss that theory, right? That I was going to say they. It seems like to me they were alien. Right. You know, so yeah. there you go. Right. There's always a, a little bit of a hint of truth in any of these uh, legendary tales. Well, um, and that's kind of the article alludes to that, too, is like, you know, specifically how you word the question and provide the answer can say can give a different a different variation of the story. So um, interesting. All right, guys, I want to make a mention now. You know, this is only our second episode of the Paranormal 60 Minutes. And. Already, we are getting access to videos and stories that a lot of people are not. And because we just did a story on King Tut, I thought it'd be uh, apropos to show uh, the beginning of one of the world's most famous adventurers. Uh, as a matter of fact, I was able to unearth the original audition tape for Josh Gates before he began his show, Destination Truth. Let's take a look at that now. 
Howdy, partner. I'm Josh Gosh-Shapes. I'm about to go in that exploring cave so I can find some gold. Man, that guy was good looking even as a kid. Yes, Dave, you are absolutely correct. Thanks, Josh. I thought he might feel that way. Uh, that's my grandson. When uh, <laughs> He was a, such a huge fan of Josh Gates. I just had to get a kick out of it. I thought we'd work him into an episode. It's, it's nepotism in a sense, guys, but it's my show. If you don't like it, you know, go do another Paranormal 60 Minutes show. Somewhere there you go. Yeah, right. It's for a lot of people. Yeah, right. It, I think it's a, a fine little piece. Speaking of a fine little piece, let's go back to Martin. <laughs> Yes, Martin. Yeah. Where I don't know if I appreciate our- that transition. <laughs> Ooh, ah. yeah. What's our uh, What's our know. next story? Well, you know, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, a uh, UFO or a actual document researcher who is uh, dedicated to finding official documents related to secrets believes that he struck the document jackpot regarding classified information held by the government about UFOs. Okay, where did he strike this jackpot? Uh, well, this gentleman, John Greenwald, has said that he has found documents from the archive, presidential archives of President, former President uh, Obama, showing that there's more than 3,000 pages and up to 26,000 electronic files relating to UFOs. Unfortunately... Uh, these records won't be released anytime soon. He's, uh, he's right now, uh, his application to get a hold of these documents are still being uh, are still being reviewed by the government, and it's going to take probably at least another year to fulfill the Freedom of Information uh, Act request. So, although he's found some uh, some uh, nuggets of gold here, uh, he just can't get to it yet. The Freedom of Information Act is a very powerful tool in order to find these things. And I guess I am surprised that that Barack Obama in his his work and studies. Now, he said, you know, he's been one of the more vocal presidents coming out talking about this and that there are things that we don't know and we can't explain. He's been a lot more uh, I, I feel transparent about it. Um, but to find out that there were this many articles, this many things that were directed towards you know ufos aliens this was actually kind of a shock greg i know you're big into the ufology aspect of a lot of this what do you make of the fact that they're finding this cadre of uh of files in barack obama's uh work oh yeah there, there's a lot uh going back as far as you want to go as, as far as any kind of aerial phenomena and uh, when you look at, at Barack Obama, there, there's a ton from Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton was a uh, very uh, uh, well, he, he was outspoken proponent of um, uh, releasing that that sort of information. The problem is, is if you don't actually know if you if you don't know for sure, uh, you don't want to declassify that information uh, in the case of uh, it being some sort of foreign technology uh, that has to do with, um, you know, country defense and and that sort of thing. So they have to be very, very careful uh, whenever they declassify that. And when you do a FOIA um, uh, open records request, uh, it, it's scrutinized pretty heavily for uh, by declassification specialists. And, uh, you know, they just got to they have to be very, very careful about that stuff because uh, we don't know what kind of 
technology, um, you know, other countries are using to try to uh, spy on us and, and monitor what we're doing. Do you believe that um, these files are going to hold anything or is this going to end up when they release them? They're going to be a lot of the files that that uh, the government's already released regarding these UFOs. Do you think that he was just giving kind of a, a glossary look at a bunch of different uh, you know, views of these no, things, of some of the research that have been collected? I, I think it'll be all all new stuff. We collect, you know, the, the government collects stuff every day that's not quite, uh, you know, people don't quite understand uh, for a whole host of reasons. Uh, but whatever he does get uh, because of the, um, uh, because it, in time we're so close to the event of whatever they're getting from, uh, you know, the Obama administration era, um, it's going to be redacted like crazy. You know, you're going to get you're going to get 20 words on a big sheet of uh, uh, paper with nothing but, you know, black redaction. Uh, and you're not going to know what, who, what, when, where, why, how. It's going to be some sort of circumstance thing that you'll get out of it. But most of the stuff will probably be redacted. Why do they even allow those type of files to be released if everything in it is blacked out? I mean, how is that information then? If it's Freedom of Information Act and we're petitioning to get this, we're given the rights to see it, but we're only given right. rights to see 10%. Right. There, there's certain levels of um, secrecy that they work off of, right? You know, people say, well, I have a top secret clearance. That means nothing. Uh, it, it, it means that you might be able to work with some crypto uh, information or whatever. And that crypto information typically expires within 24 hours. So, um, you know, it depends on what your level of classification is. And so when you're looking at uh, something that could be extraterrestrial, uh, something that could be a threat to national security, something that that could be uh, some of our secret stuff, um, they're going to rely on the uh, declassification process and figure out as far as where, uh, uh, how long that this needs to be classified, how long, you know, this could be. The, the, the SR-71 is a perfect example. Um, uh, many people talked about us having SR-71, but the United States military didn't come out uh, for, I think, a couple of decades before they actually said, yep, we got this uh, aircraft that flies super high, super fast. And we didn't want to release that information because we fly over Russia and all, all these other places taking pictures. And we don't we don't want to admit to that. <laughs> I think we lost your audio, Dave. Oh, great. Are, are we back uh, now? <laughs> You're there. <laughs> it's a uh, rookie, rookie mistake. Yeah. Dave. Rookie mistake. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Uh, we, I've had some really weird things going on here. I was doing an interview the other day on somebody else's show and the lights started going and all the power only in the room I'm in went out and it wasn't a, a switch. And as we were starting today's show, I have motion detector lights outside and one of my lights went on and then just started flickering madly. So we're, we're getting some weird stuff. But I had a quick question for you guys. Uh, Round Robin, we'll start with you, Marty, and work our way down uh, through the list. With what's going on in the world of disclosure and all that's being released, and, and Marty, I know you were military, um, do you think that we're really on the precipice of finding out the truth about extraterrestrial visitors? Or is this propaganda, one hand doing something while the other hand's doing something else to kind of keep us from knowing something more important that's going on in the world? Well, you know, I think, uh, I think uh, Greg hit it on the nail is that a lot of what we're 
what the government actually is trying to hide is most likely related to some type of, of, of aircraft weapons or something that they relate to these UFO events. So if there's any, what I could imagine is if there's any connection to uh, the UFOs and any type of government, you know, uh, uh, project, they're probably going to make sure to, to, to black that out. Um, and I think that's kind of probably related to the military aspect, the weaponry aspect and trying to keep that close hold. Um, so do you not believe that, that we are being visited by extraterrestrials? I think based off what we've seen this year with the video and with what the Navy was able to produce, it's really hard to argue that uh, now uh, in regards to what the government recognizes. I mean, um, here I'm in the state of Nevada. Uh, the uh, Harry Reid had done so much to try to get that information out before his retirement. Mm -hmm. And that it's, uh, you know, uh, one has to ask, you know, what do they have? You know, what is it that that they're seeing on their end that would uh, uh, that would cause them to consider having uh, the the number of uh, uh, congressional meetings they had on it? All right, Eric, what is what are your thoughts on this? And I don't know if, if I don't think you and I have ever even spoken about the UFO phenomena between the two of us, but uh you think we're on the precipice of something big or is this again, posturing and propaganda to kind of protect our own military abilities? I think we're actually on the precipice, believe it or not. Um, you know, when, when, when Greg was reading, I'm sorry, when, when Marty was reading the story, I started thinking, didn't Trump, when he was running for president, talk about releasing the information that he had seen? Wasn't I think every president. Yeah. I think every president has made that claim at the start of their tenured and i think they're quickly shown how little power each one of them really have when it comes to <laughs> what they're able to release and and put out there but uh I just, I just think that as the older generations start to to pass and we have the younger folks that kind of get into the law or get an office i think people are going to get the information out there all right now greg there was another article regarding the tic tac um video footage, the alien drone footage that was out there. And this week, uh, there was a specialist who came on and said that by reviewing that, he thinks that it's an artifact of the camera itself. And they were showing the footage and he goes, look, they're watching something 10 to 20 miles away. Right. And and they're moving and it's moving. And every time they bank, it's banking. How is it doing it? That's why he believed that this is that those Tic Tac videos are, are actually just a, a malfunction or artifact of reflection or refraction on the camera lens. Do you think that that's what we're going to end up finding out here later on? And how could the government not know that if that's the case? Yeah, so I don't think it's anything on the lens for the simple fact that uh, it, it's moving on the screen itself. Um, <clears throat> I, I try to explain this to, to a lot of uh, people to think about uh, when you're driving in your car and you're driving along, you look up in the air uh, and there's an airplane, a big giant airplane. It's sitting in middle midair and it's not moving. And you're driving, you're like, oh, my God, look, it's just floating there. Well, it looks that way because of the speed that you're going and the trigonometry that is working in the in your vision of where the aircraft is, how fast it's flying. And it's just everything is just lining up just right to make it look 
like it's not moving, but you know, it's, it's traveling over 200 miles an hour. You're traveling 60 miles an hour, but because of those angles in your vision, it makes it look like it's floating mm -hmm. and then you can reverse it the other way and make it look like it's going really fast when it goes by you. Um, so think about the video of the Tic Tac and think about how fast the, you know, the, the U S aircraft is flying and then look at the Tic Tac and see the vision behind it, the, the, you know, the background and how it's moving. So it just depends, you know, you, you really have to take that video and do a whole bunch of math to actually determine whether it's flying or not. Because let's say if it was a balloon and it's staying stationary and I'm flying at 400 miles an hour going by it, filming it, it will look like it's going the other way. Uh, when right. it's actually just stationary. So th those are really tricky. You know, you're, you, you know, imagine uh, um, when you're looking at these videos, you're looking at something through a cardboard paper tube, you know, and you're only seeing this much of it. Well, there's a whole bunch of other stuff that's going on right. that that information you need to, to make a good determination. So I don't know. It's a good video though. It's a really good, cool video. All right. We need to take a break. We'll be back. We've got more news coming your way right here on the Paranormal 60 Minutes. All right, welcome back to the program. We are the best in paranormal news, as far as we all know. I mean, there's probably better, but I don't like to put it out there that way, right? In our minds, we're the best in paranormal news. So well, I asked for my mom and she agreed. Oh, did she? Good. Yeah, See, yeah, that's good, good enough for me. As long as we've got her endorsement. Guys, as paranormal investigators and men that have traveled the world with me going to haunted locations, this story and headline caught my attention. Check this out. The Greater Manchester Street that is so haunted, you have to sign a waiver in order to move there. And this is uh, Paige Oldfield of Manchester Evening News that uh, shared this article. On the outskirts of Bolton lies a street with a very dark secret. Wingate's Grove in Westofton has said to be haunted by a poltergeist throughout the 1990s, terrifying to all who live there. This malevolent spirit was said to have actually attached itself to a role of council houses and has tormented families now for years. The hauntings reputedly uh, came uh, so frighteningly bad and, and active that the Bolton Council was forced to intervene but staff couldn't find a rational explanation for what was actually going on. That's like guys living in a townhome and having your homeowners association <laughs> have to come together, right? Okay. We need our lawns are out of control and you know, our, we're burning out streetlights, by the way, I've got poltergeist activity in four of the five houses. What are we going to do about it? Could you even imagine that being part of a, a docket for the home society to deal with? <laughs> Very strange. Um, going back to it, this, this row of, of houses that they're having all of this cra crazy kind of activity take place in, they actually staged an exorcism there and all the paranormal activity on the street was thought to have just ceased. Even so years after the last goings on one resident was still made to sign a disclaimer form before being allowed to move into her home. And it all started in 1993 when one family started experiencing this bizarre activity. It was said that their toddler would walk and talk with this little man in his room. 
and an oil type substance would be seen this viscous fluid running down the walls. The incidents uh, reportedly they baffled maintenance workers who couldn't determine the cause of the issues. The family eventually contacted a local church and they had this exorcism that was carried out at the address following the ritual everything on the street seemed to fall quiet. But just five years later in 1999, they had this flurry of supernatural activity that began again, just two doors down now from the original haunted house. This family started experiencing strange disturbances and they hadn't really lived in that address very long when the activity began. Laura, the daughter was 12 years old when she moved into the property. She's now 34 and said that she knew something was wrong with the home as soon as they arrived. Speaking to the Manchester Evening News, she said, I begged my mom not to move in. I didn't like the feel of it. I didn't feel comfortable. But when we got our stuff in, it did seem to fade a bit. When things started happening, though, my mom would say that it was a ghost, probably that of my granddad. But I said it definitely wasn't granddad. I just knew that there was something there. I felt like I was walking into someone else's personal space, and I didn't want to walk through that door. Laura actually remembers the very first supernatural occurrence, just like it was yesterday. She was with her older brother and a friend when the incident uh, happened, and the siblings decided to play a prank on their pal who was sleeping in the living room. And as they ran back upstairs, her brother let out this blood-curdling scream. He had cut his foot open on a picture frame that was standing on the staircase. Now, a while ago, it had been just hanging on the wall moments before uh, they went running up the stairs. And they had literally just walked on those stairs. If they would have heard it fall or seen it, there would have been something there to notice. And none of them picked up on that. Um, she said she just kind of dealt with this and, and ended up, uh, you know, going back to sleep that night. They were all a little unnerved by it. The following morning, though, she told her mother about the strange occurrence and thinking nothing of it, Laura returned to her bedroom. But her mother called her downstairs 20 minutes later, where she found her brother's girlfriend looking very strange. She said, I did the exact same thing to her. She continued, we got up at different times. Strange activity wouldn't just incur inside the home either. Dozens of dead cows were once found scattered around the front and back garden, including along the gentle at the side of the property. So wait a minute. Dozens of dead cows are sprinkled around your property. That's got to affect property values, right? <laughs> you would gotta- think either for, for, for the good or for the worse, right? I mean, if you got a bunch of, uh, especially over there, beef is pretty expensive. So That's true. you get. You know, in Texas, um, that's just a Tuesday morning, though. Yeah, you right? get a, it's time to get your chainsaw out. Right? Yeah. Now, I've heard of these storms that, you know, that'll happen and they pick fish up and actually will blow them out and people will have fish rain down on them. There was that footage that came out about a month ago where in a, in a town in England, I believe it was, all of these blackbirds came out like a massive murder of, of crows or blackbirds came out of the sky and, and then they just hit the ground, many of them dead. And they still yeah. don't have an explanation. They think that they were, and this sounds really lame to me, that a hawk flew into them. And in order to avoid, they did the collective dive. And some of them just went too far and hit the road. Wow. I, I don't know. See man. A hawk in that video. 
No. Well, you're right. Cause we only get to see that one little, you know, ring camera angle. Yeah. Uh, but, but very strange. Now there is a little bit more to the story that, that continues on. And that's in the, um, the newer owner, Karen Walton, who lives in Laura's childhood home. She says she's had no problem with the property's history and actually enjoys its quirky past. She purchased the home back in 2006 and said she also had to sign a disclaimer before she moved into the address in 2006. So this isn't like the 70s or 80s quaint times that people are just believe. This is 2006. In order to buy a home and move in, you have to sign a waiver stating that you understand there could be paranormal shenanigans afoot. She was told that uh, she was not allowed to move into the home if she had young children. I understand there was something going on there. She said it used to jump from there to the house, from one house to the next. And she had to sign a disclaimer saying she wouldn't use a Ouija board or do black magic or any dark practices. She said they actually wanted me to sign a slip of paper. And I, I quite liked it. I've heard tales that there's meant to be an old man walking around on the landing, but we're quite happy here. I think it's quite novel. I like it. It's a selling point for me. Now, Karen hasn't experienced any supernatural activity since moving into the address. They wanted someone to move here who didn't have very young children. So I've had no issues. I thought it was just very quirky, but a lot of the council workers wouldn't come here. But I've not felt anything since I've lived here. I've had pets and dogs, and they've never freaked out. I'm open to it. I'm a belie- I'm not a disbeliever, she says, but I will believe it when I see it. Mm. So that's pretty bizarre, right? I mean, there are a few houses that we know of throughout the United States and around the world that have been deemed haunted. But the fact that they're calling this thing so haunted that they have no explanation for what's taking place there and if you want to move in you have to sign a waiver that's that's pretty big that's crazy to me writing that's amazing right written into the bylaws and you can't have kids if you're going to move in and i like the council members won't even come visit uh listen i've got a piece of video guys i told you we're going to be sharing some interesting ghost stories in history and i've got a piece of video uh that i'd like to share with you now this is actually from bachelor's grove cemetery And uh, this takes place in uh, Chicago, Midlothian, Illinois area. And it is one of the most well-known haunted spots. When I lived in that area, we always heard about Bachelors Grove. But as a kid, I would never go there because, first of all, there was a lot of transients and and issues that they had there that you just had to worry about the fleshies, let alone the spiritual world. But there is a woman who captured one of the most famous ghost captures in history. And I had a chance to interview her. We'll listen to her now. Out at Bachelors Grove Cemetery, and with me, Judy Huff, who has taken one of the most iconic ghost photographs ever taken. If, if you've looked up ghost pictures, her picture is always in the top ten of photographs. You took a picture, and what year was this? Nineteen ninety-one. Yeah, ninety-one. It was either August or September ninety-one. And you'd come out here to do an investigation with your team, right? Now, when you were walking around the cemetery, again, this is pre-CD phones, where you can see the the actual picture. Uh huh. Did you hear that? Yeah. <laughs> There's a spirit. It sounds like a crypt opening. Um, so you were out here. You didn't actually see what you were taking photographs of, and you were using IR film. Right. right? Yeah. Okay, so walk me through it. You're in the cemetery just shooting random shots, but why were you directed to that one area? I felt something over there. I couldn't tell what it was, but I just felt like a, like um, some type of a power or some type of a pulling into that area, and so I just felt compelled to take pictures and see if I got anything. All right, now you get it back. How long do you have uh, since you took the picture to when you get the developed film back? Uh, it was maybe about a week. You're a thumbing longer. through the pictures. Mm-hmm. 
did you notice it the first time through when you're looking through your pictures? No, I didn't. In fact, I was, like, really disappointed because I went through, and I was like, oh, I didn't get anything. I'm like, oh, well. And then something told me, look again, and so I went through them again and looked at them better, and then I saw the image of the woman sitting on the headstone. Um, <clears throat> she's off to the side. She's not centered in the picture, so I'm assuming that's why I didn't see her. Plus, she's also kind of small in the picture. The now, original. what's interesting when you actually enlarge the photograph is she's somewhat translucent. You can see through her parts of the trees and things behind her, correct? Yes, correct. And now this this specific picture and negative was actually tested. Did you Was it sent to Kodak? Who, who all took a look at this film? Um, Dale Kazmarek. Um, did an investigation with it with Kodak Eastman, and then um, uh, that was a few years back. And then Zach Bagans um, had so, had someone check out the negative and the print to verify that it had not been um, tampered with, that it wasn't photoshopped, that the image is actually on the negative, and that it doesn't look like it was added. And the gentleman that looked at it said, "Yeah, and it was there. Photoshop technology wasn't around." to the general public in 1991. It was very expensive, and it wouldn't have looked like that. He verified that my negative is from, like, the late 80s, early 90s. Um, he didn't have an exact year, but he said he could tell it was about that old. And that he said that, um, <clears throat> that he could see that it was not added later and that she is actually on the negative as well as the photograph. It's, it's a remarkable photograph. We'll put up a picture of it at the end of the video so that you can see it if you haven't already. Bachelor's Grove Cemetery, does it mean something to you even more now knowing that you've been here and you caught one of the most astounding ghost pictures ever on film? Um, it's pretty exciting, yeah. And I, I always go through the bookstores and I'll find it in more books that I realize. I'm like, wow, <laughs> my picture's out there even more. I'm like, this kind of... Kind of crazy. Not many people ask to use it, but it gets published a lot. So very cool. Well, thank you very much oh, for your time and uh, returning to Bachelor's Grove. With now, to me, that is one of the coolest photographs that I've ever seen. And as she said, it has appeared worldwide: newspapers, news articles, um, TV programs. It is one of the best. And because it's not centered, it's not perfect. That's what's great. When you look at the f picture, you don't even really realize it yet because in the scope of the picture, she's off in the far corner and it's a very small aspect of that. But that to me is one of the coolest catches I've ever seen where it comes to an actual uh, piece of paranormal uh, photograph. I, I, and that woman looks so out of place and out of time. It's, it's unbelievable. Uh, I do want to make a quick mention, if I can, this Monday, Witch Hunt, Ghosts and Witches. I'll be joined by Sharice Williams and Sarah Lemos as we talk about the uh, ghost town terror and witchcraft in ghost hunting. How to infuse that into ghost hunting to try to get better communication, better ways to actually um you know, involve yourself in that environment. So that's going to be an interesting take. That's going to be on Monday's show. So I hope you guys will check that out. All right. It's time to go back to the great state of Texas. Greg Lawson, what's going on out there? What's the news that you have to report to us? Well, it's crazy, man. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to go to USA today. There was an article, uh, it said, uh, recently astronomers from the university of Arizona discovered an asteroid wider than a hockey rink projected to hit earth by July of what? 2023 yeah uh, they use a palermo uh, scale to determine the risk and effects of the impact which is apparently includes hockey rinks um <laughs> yeah according to the national hockey league the impact would be similar to that of a Hiroshima 
a Hiroshima or Hiroshima atomic bomb. You know, Hiroshima or Hiroshima, depending on whether you're on the uh, west side of the Manson-Nixon line. or uh, <laughs> Manson-Nixon line. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, uh, astronomers actually lost the asteroid for a little while in the glow of the moon, but later found it. And NASA's Center for Near-Earth Object Studies determined that it was a false alarm and we will not all be dying next year in 2013. Yes. Or 2023. Yes. So uh, Tom Brady does get to play again. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's going to he's going to be playing. So um, why is it we're just hearing about this cataclysmic asteroid now? If they thought it was going to hit here within the next year, do you think, Greg, if they do find one that's going to be a di- deep impact, are they going to let us know or are they just going to remain quiet on this? Well, what's more disturbing is the the Palermo scale and the the fact that they go to a hockey rink to determine the size of this thing. And I'm in Texas, and I know the folks in Louisiana, Mississippi, Florida, and stuff. It's a hockey rink. It's like what, a hockey rink. Can, can, can we can we get a, a better size judgment on that? Because I don't know what a hockey rink size is. I, I've never been to a hockey game. It's been. Uh, you guys, I, I went a- to a. You do have a little team, you know, called the Dallas Stars. Used to be the Minnesota North Stars. Yeah, but it's like you said, uh, you know, the Canadians come down here, I guess, and watch it or or something. But, you know, know, maybe a basketball court. um, I don't know. So yeah, that is a weird uh, measurement size. Well, well, yeah. And and like uh, uh, last year, there was an impact and and they uh, uh, estimated it at the, the size of half a giraffe. That wasn't last year. That was just a, a couple of weeks ago. Oh, it was. All right. All yeah. Right. So right. That is a weird measurement of all the of all the things you could use as a measuring scale. Calling it a half giraffe did sound strange, but but Greg, I did do a little research and I found an actual picture of it. And now that you see it, it makes sense. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That is definitely half a giraffe. Uh, yes. See, we- folks. That's why you should be watching the show. Friday nights and you get to see all the great graphics. So if you're listening to the audio version, thank you. Make sure that you go check out the, uh, the video version as well over on YouTube channel. Yeah. Um, wouldn't half a giraffe be a whole donkey. <sighs> that's a you lot know, of math. It, no, that's deep. Yeah, that's 17 chickens. Yeah. yeah. It's like, uh, uh, we, we recovered a uh, meteorite over here, uh, in West Texas and it's a uh, half a meemaw. <laughs> or, or it's, uh, you know, it's it's a, a, it's a whole Arby's beef and cheddar. Yeah. All, right. Well, all right. Yeah. See, those are things that everybody can relate to. I get you. Yeah. Right. I'm with you. Yeah. yeah. I'm just saying, you know, they should, that is a weird deal. Like the guy's should, like, man, look at that. That thing's like the size of half a giraffe. You know, what a weird statement. giraffe in half, that'd be exactly the distance of this. <laughs> right. That is so weird. Yeah. Yeah. I, I you know, uh, I know there's some astronomers and stuff out there making this stuff up, but it's like, all right, you know, it's, it's the, the circumference was 42 meters. It's like, all right, well, Americans really can't understand that. So let's say it's <laughs> half a giraffe. I think you're just start stringing animals together. Half a giraffe plus a whole cow. And right. A of right. A turkey. Right. Meemaw yeah. riding it. Exactly. Right. I need that graphic next week, Dave. I'll get I'll get right on that. Uh, all right, let's go. What's our next story, Greg? All right, according to the Mirror, a family of uh, uh, the a family of one of the 
fighter pilots that uh, we were talking about earlier um, in uh, the, the Tic Tac video said they've witnessed and seen a wolf-like creature that walks on its hind legs stalking their home. The unnamed pilot was on board USS Nimitz when pilots sighted an object shaped like a 40-foot-long Tic Tac. Uh, now, one of the pilots has reported seeing this strange creature staring into the windows of his house. Intelligence officers uh, explain that the men have been experiencing paranormal activity after their return, after they returned home, which uh, they've seen orbs, dark figures at night in their bedrooms and strange noises. Other family members also report to have seen the creature on two separate occasions. This is very, very strange, and uh, it, it would it would go along with uh, a, a lot of times when people do have paranormal one paranormal experience, uh, several more paranormal experiences will follow up after that. And I don't know whether that's something that has affected them uh, actually physically, or whether they've been chosen and uh, these entities are now trying to. Uh, you know, contact them or, or get some sort of message or interaction with them or whether uh, they're just more susceptible to uh, uh, psychological phenomena and they're, they're paying more attention to what's going on around them and trying to make, make sense of it. But I found that uh, very interesting that uh, they would have these other residual effects after their experience on Nimitz. Well, I know that speaking to Whitley Strieber, uh, who wrote Communion and, and has written quite a few other books regarding um, UFO and alien contact, his type of phenomena seems to grow as well. He believes he's had contact with black-eyed kids and, and many other strange, strange things. I, it's, it is interesting. You're right. Did, does it open something in you that makes you more open once you see something and your consciousness is kind of blown open? You're not in that same stigmatized, you know, locked-in brain. Are right. you getting, you know, are you getting uh, more of that information than than you would have before? And I've had people uh, tell me that, you know, they say, have you ever seen a ghost? And I'm like, uh, I don't think so. Have you ever seen this? Have you ever experienced this? I'm like, yeah, not really. And they're like, well, you you once you're open to it, once you experience it, once, you know, the, these veils, I guess, spread apart and you can uh, experience things a lot more once you've experienced it a few times, it's it's more prevalent. Um, but I don't know. Let me ask, let me ask Eric on this, because Eric was kind of the skeptic uh, of our group when we started doing the world travels together. And now that you've been out there and you've witnessed and seen some things for yourself, do you find that uh, you're having more experiences or noticing more things of high weirdness? Uh, it's so funny you should say that. About two weeks ago, I was in Pennsylvania uh, and we were in a cemetery and I was driving along and out of the corner of my eye, clear as day. I could see a figure clear as day. And I turned my head as fast as I could, looked at my, my wife and daughter said, you guys saw that, right? Saw what? And my wife said to me, have you noticed that you've been seeing more things ever since you've been going on these, these trips with Dave? And, and it was true for 40 years. I saw nothing. And over the last, you know, five, 10 years, uh, it just, it happens organically. And, and I love it because for so long I couldn't understand it. And certainly to your point was, it was a skeptic. And, and now it, it's wonderful to, to have these, these views and, and start to really think beyond what I thought for, for 40 years. Very cool. All right, folks, we are at the 
part of the show where we've got our final story. And this one I thought was really intriguing and was actually even covered on NPR earlier this week. Emily Kwong and astrobiologist Morgan Cable had a discussion. What does Mount Kilimanjaro have to do with the search for alien life? And that's a great question. Earlier this week, Emily Kwong, reporting for NPR, spoke with astrobiologist Morgan Cable about her work and the fact that in a theory of searching life forms out in the universe, they are actually going to visit the top of Mount Kilimanjaro. Now, Morgan is a research scientist in Pasadena, um, California, and she's based at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory and studies extreme environments, environments found in places like the summit of Mount Kilimanjaro. The concept is that a place where it could be hard to live, these harsh environments, weather, low air, all of that, by going there and testing the atmosphere, they may actually get insights to how life may survive out in the universe. They're looking for something called biosignatures or biomarkers. And essentially, that's the stuff that tells us that life is there or was there in the past. There are these things like pollen and, and stuff that's preserved, like bits of bacteria, certain things that we call bacterial spores. And these are the toughest known forms of life that we've found here on Earth. So tough that they can survive in space. They're like microbial hitchhikers is is what it says here and um having these bits of of information out there and scanning that area might actually give us insight to could life exist and could she find foreign or alien microbes in the air at the top of mount kilimanjaro so Morgan's quest for extreme life on Earth and how it's helping her to plan two space missions is because she's using Clipper to the moon Europa and Dragonfly to the moon of Titan, two of Jupiter's moons. Those missions are searching for life in this galaxy right here in our very own solar system. So, gentlemen, I did what any good host would do is I reached out to an expert in the field, folks. I reached no. out to a guy that if I want an answer, I'm going to get an answer. Uh, because our intrepid reporter, a man that has traveled the world, has stood at the summit of Mount Kilimanjaro for himself, challenging himself to reach new heights and seek the truth and spiritual meaning of his adventures. He's authored the book, The Call of Kilimanjaro, finding hope above the clouds. And when it comes to getting the straight truth of a situation, there's nobody else in the world that I trust more than this gentleman. Ladies and gentlemen, please help us welcome to the Paranormal 60 Minutes, Jeff Belanger. Jeff, I need to know, you've stood there at the top, at the summit of Mount Kilimanjaro, staring the fates directly in the eyes, having gone over insurmountable odds to finally reach this apex. When you were there, at any point, did you see an alien? No. All right. Good enough for me. Thank you so much for joining us, Jeff Belanger. That is another edition of the Paranormal 60 Minutes for Eric Folsom, Greg Lawson, Martin Vias. I am Dave Schrader, your host. Make sure to go rate and review this audio podcast wherever you may be listening to us. And we are now available on everything from Spotify to Amazon Music, Audible, Deezer, Podcast Addict, uh, even iTunes and more. So you can find the audio version of these podcasts. Please go out, check those out for yourself and rate and review them. That does help the show. And if you're watching the video version of today's show, make sure to go put in some comments like this video, hit the little subscribe button and get into that with us. Thank you again for spending some time with us here. We appreciate it. And we'll be back again next week with more 
more of the Paranormal 60 Minutes News. 